You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we've done some just over, you know, quick calculations. We think we could um, have about 10% of Florida's manatees provide habitat up and down the system. Unlike Blue Springs, which has been very successful, you almost would have a chain of springs for manatees going up to Silver Springs. So they wouldn't all be huddled just in Silver Springs. Yes. They would have access to uh, FWCs and identified, I think, four or five springs along that uh, system that would be potentially good habitat for, for uh, manatees. That was Margaret Spontak, chair of the Free the Oklawaha Coalition. And I'm Misty Ridley-Little, your host for the podcast. For several years now, I have been following the news about the push to free the Oklawaha River from the Rodman Dam, first via the Florida Native Plant Society and later through other entities in Florida. The idea intrigued me because the Rodman Reservoir and the Kirkpatrick Dam, as well as the Cross Florida Barge Canal, are all intertwined with the Florida Trail. The reservoir was created when the dam was sealed off on the Oklawaha River in the late 1960s, thus drowning multiple springs and severely altering the ecosystem. Almost since its creation, there has been a call to restore the system. I invited Margaret on to talk about the history of the project and to provide insight into the coalition's goals and hopeful timeline in restoring the Oklahoma River system. This episode is part of my greater series highlighting managed lands that cross through or are adjacent to the Florida Trail. All right, on to my episode with Margaret. Well, Margaret, thank you for wanting to uh, or agreeing to come on my podcast to talk about uh, the Free the Oklahoma Coalition. And, you know, I've heard about the 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 plight of the local Oklahoma River. And I you know walked across the Rodman Dam on the Florida Trail. And I thought this would be an interesting conversation because I don't know that a lot of people who are hiking on the Florida Trail know the significance of the Rodman Dam and of that whole area in general i know there's a blurb in the in the in our hiking guide but uh you know when we're out there hiking we don't really know the greater context of everything and i thought you'd be great to have someone to speak on that so maybe you want to introduce yourself to who you are and a little bit about uh the free the oklahoma coalition and the great um florida riverway that sounds good well um Gosh, it's probably, I think, four years ago this month, um, the Free the Oklahoma Coalition formed. And it was kind of an effort just to invigorate um, efforts to uh, uh, restore through partial restoration, which doesn't mean dam removal. It means breaching the dam to get almost the same level of environmental benefits for less cost. Um so we formed and really got people inspired and have the coalition has made some major progress in terms of shifting public opinion. The polls are showing that Marion and Putnam with active voters, um, it's between uh, 77 and 74 percent in favor of restoration, which is a huge shift from, say, back in the early say 2015. Oh, wow. And um, also Tax Watch came out and endorsed the project for the economics of it. So there's just been a lot of great headway made. And this year, um, we I um, formed uh, with a small board, the Great Florida Riverway Trust. We're a 501c4, so we can lobby um, extensively in Tallahassee. And uh, so I've uh, uh, Jessica Finch has taken over the coalition, which is great. She's a Wallaca resident, and resident in Putnam County. She serves on the Wallaca City Council, and she's a she formerly owned Wallaca Lodge, so she's got a huge business background, very tourism minded. And so uh, she's a great leader for that. So we did that to have. Uh, more capabilities in terms of um, uh, work, our work in Tallahassee. And also it gives me a little more time to focus on key leader work. And um, we're trying to work really hard this year to pull together communities and key leaders on the uh, recreation aspects. So that's a very exciting area that I'm very interested in. Yeah. So when I was looking at, you know, all these other member 
organizations, uh, you know, from cities to like Defenders of Wildlife and all these different groups uh, as part of the, the this coalition. How did how did that come about? How did you manage to get all these folks on board to join behind this big cause? Well, there's, I mean, there, for years, I mean, since um, since the dam was halted, really, uh, environmental organizations have been working, and there was a base group that we initially reached out to, and then we, we tried to also pull in um, some uh, businesses that, that do work along the river, as well as we have some church members. It's very interesting, but... Uh, we haven't pushed the membership aspect as much lately, but we wanted to show that we're not just a conservation organization. So we um, are a broad base of groups that represent all kinds of interests. So, um, so we we built from twenty some odd, I think, in a base group to over sixty members now. Um, and so um, Jessica may do some more work. Um, we definitely think. We sh we want to reach out more to the recreation community. We have a lot of angler support, um, and obviously the paddling community, the hiking community. So uh, there's work to be done to kind of get them um, engaged as well. Yeah. So if we back up just a little bit. So you know, say you're an F Florida Trail hiker, you're coming across the Robin Dam. How did that dam get there? Why was it created? Give us a little bit of a history of of what happened uh, to create this whole situation. Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting story because I guess I guess as far back as the Spanish, there was this talk about cutting a canal across the state, kind of like the Panama Canal, and to save having ships having to go all the way down around Florida. <laughs> so you know, conceptually, to, to some that sounded like a good idea. And I didn't know this until I, I really studied the history a few years back. A portion of it was built and it was halted. And then it got reinvigorated in the 60s. And I saw it as an economic boon. If you think about it, it's kind of the, the Everglades and this is two of the biggest travesties in Florida. Um, and it, both of them were, were similar in that People saw it as a way to be a boost to the economy, create more jobs and all that. So it got started, then it stopped, then it started, and they got about 30% of it built, part over on the West Coast, over with the Cushy River, that area. Um, Lake Russo was formed because of the dam over there, and then part of it on this side, and then they halted it. So you had a dam that's there that really doesn't do water supply, doesn't do flood protection, um, doesn't do power, but it did create a nice art artificial kind of fishing hole there, the reservoir, which in its day was hugely successful. It's uh, gone, the use of it's gone down, the muck is building up, so it's, um, it's still, you still can pull some, uh, I think they call them hunk, Hunker about anyway. You can still pull some <laughs> big bass out of there. I went fishing with one of the guides uh, two years ago, um, just to kind of get a feel for it. And I, I was I successfully pulled out six uh, mudfish in a gar. But I had oh wow! Fun. But I did not. <laughs> I did not bring any big lunker bass into the boat. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. So the sixties. You know. You know. We the floor trail also goes across. You know the the cross florida barge canal at least kind of down on the base of it and um we cross you know the lock there and so you see all of that and like you said it just it's it's not being used for <laughs> what it should be used for and so why is it taking so long for there to be enough i guess um interest from the public to even restore this area like what was i mean you say even going up to 2015 people were still like eh, i don't know about this what what's the change and what was the hold up all this time well there's been different we got the conservation community got real close twice uh it lost by one vote in the legislature back in the late 60s i think it was um it in 2015 there were some interlocal agreements with government government the different small governments and um then it kind of blew up 
um, at one point. And when those things happen, people get discouraged, kind of back away from it. But um, one thing that we've tried to do, the coalition, I tried to talk to people about, you don't, you don't get anywhere by name calling or bickering about issues. You really need to get together and find out what are some common interests. How can we create a outcome that will uh, make sure we have great fishing access, both for boat, boat fishing and, and shore fishing is very important to us because there's low income people that do fish uh, at the base of the dam there. So, We've tried to cut out that rhetoric, and I think that's helped a lot. You don't hear that too much, very little. Every once in a while, somebody pop up on social media and try to get them to calm down. But that doesn't really help the situation. And personally, I feel like uh, and the coalition has taken a, a position. Years ago, it was always, let's get it restored, and we'll figure out the recreation later. We now have come together to realize that the boating access and all the recreation, the trail access, all that has to be part of the package when we um, push that across the finish line. And so I, we still have a, uh, some work to do. This is a really critical year to try to get some of that, uh, see what the priorities are, because we could, there, there's a lot that could be done. We've got, you know, the communities have to figure out what's the most important thing. And instead of just asking for funding for the restoration, we feel that we should include funding for the high priority recreation parts too. Okay. So in in the part of the recreation part is, so I guess if you breach the dam, and I guess by breaching, you're just basically making it somehow not functional, but the still the structure is still kind of there. Is that yeah, I call it the causeway, but the spillway where the bridge is now, mm -hmm. the bridge will stay there. The spillway below will no longer be functioning with water coming through it because uh, the, the cut through will, there's 7,500 feet of earthen or, or clay berm, and that's the dam. Some people think that bridge is the dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to cut out 2,500 feet of that where the natural riverbed is, and that's kind of uh, to one side of the, that bridge, there's an X on the road where you can see it. Okay. So you will, the natural river will flow through there the same size and depth that it was back in the day. There's some very creative things, and I get a chance to work with the UF students that have done these uh, next week at the Florida Wildlife um, Corridor Conference. Um using that spillway in interesting ways. Originally, the plan was to berm it and you could do wildflowers or different things. But we've also got one drawing where they actually take the gates off of the spillway and do um, um, walkways out into the, from one side to the other where you can actually see the restoration as it happens. Oh, and, okay. and the scientists have said that would work. There would be no reason you couldn't do that. So there's some beautiful renderings, and they're on greatfloridariverway.com. You can go and see all the different ideas the students have. Um, but to me, the uh, Rodman Recreation Area, which is where the dam is now, and the Buckman uh, Recreation Area where, where the lock system is and where the Florida Trail crosses across, you have to call somebody to try to yeah. get <laughs> To me, those are two of the priority um, recreation areas that we really need to look at how we can improve those, expand them. So they're not going to, sometimes I think people in their mind think that's all going to totally poof gone, but there's, there's actually ways to expand and repurpose some of that to make it even better. Okay. So I guess in, sorry, going back to the, you guys breaching that dam and having that natural navigation channel for the river, and working with fishermen, I know we're talking about hikers here, but let's talk about the whole recreation because hikers, there's a lot of hikers who are fishermen as well. Um, so the lake is going away, would go away. What would be the fishing opportunities then at that point in those areas? How would you manage so that? So the, 
the reservoir, that's a really, that's like the million dollar question, I think. So the reservoir uh, goes down to the natural river. So you don't have uh, like the big lake environment now. Right now from Eureka, a lot of people know Eureka is about maybe halfway between Silver Springs and the dam. From Eureka to the dam, that reservoir is like an engorged river, really, if you think about it. So that will come down and around that you'll restore 7,500 acres of wetland forest. Well, wetland forest is, you know, the wetlands are really critical to, um, you know, wetlands create nurseries for all kinds of fish. So you're going to um, restore, I call them our lost fish. And I was raised in near Silver Springs. We used to have the big catfish that were a big attraction and schools of mullet and striped bass and American shad that would come up in the river. Um, we've lost almost all of that. The Silver Springs has been pretty much taken over by tilapia and armored catfish, which is not good for the system. Yeah. And the glass bottom boats used to be an hour long. They're now 30 minutes because there's just not as much to see. So it'll it'll spread the it'll bring our fish back that we've lost. Striped bass are like two times bigger than regular largemouth bass, and American shad are a very hot commodity. This is not the what my brother refers to as stink shad. These are American shad, which are a very hot uh, fishing uh, item down south. Um, so those will come back. So your fish, your bass that are now collecting in the reservoir area will be just, they'll, they won't disappear. They'll be dispersed up and down the river. Okay. You used to be able to get a lot, a lot more bass in the Aquaha proper. It'll improve the fishery also downstream because you've cut off part of the Aquaha that feeds the um, St. John's River. Um, and when you you restore this you're going to open up 20 springs some are very small some of them are big enough to hold 100 manatees um you restore the flow of those springs that has been suppressed by all that water from the dam and that flow is 150 million gallons a day is equivalent to what the city of jacksonville uses a lot of fresh water so it will help improve the water quality of the lower Oklahoma and st john's clarity uh, Temperature-wise, it'll be cooler, clearer. Um, the St. John's is in bad shape for us right now. There's it lost a huge amount of most of its eelgrass. Um, FWC has a very successful pilot project they're working on to restore that eelgrass through um, fencing off areas. Mm -hmm. um, you know that's not something you can do everywhere. Yeah. That it is, it is helping. Um, so it will help that fishery, the what I call the Lower St. John's Estuary from Willacker or Plaque all the way to the Atlantic. And a lot of people, I, I had never heard the word the Atlantic bite, but this is really connected to the Atlantic Ocean and that fishery so much. Um, and the Atlantic bite, I believe, starts about South Carolina and goes down to Canaveral, is one of the most productive uh, fisheries area and a lot of those saltwater fish depend on eels which eels have been really decimated on the system so it's gonna if you we've got people on the science team from you retired just recently retired usgs um, people from the water management district that all have collaborated on a paper on the fish Fish, anybody can get that on uh, greatfloridariverway.com. But they all agree that the overall fishing of the system will improve uh, all the way from the Harris chain to the Atlantic. And even in our neck of the woods, if you go uh, south on the St. John's, Lake George is a very huge fishing area even that will get some of the benefits of the fishery improvement as well. Right. So it's, 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 it is true ecosystem restoration from on a more macro scale than you can think, they can even imagine. Right. Right. And if you think about it, the bit, the big bass tournament, the bass, um, bass masters has brought into the area 
for many years, you couldn't even fish the Rodman at last time they opened the Rodman up, but it, the focus was the St. John's River. St. John's River was ranked higher than the Rodman at that time. Now, I don't think either one of them is in the top 25. I don't know where they fall, but they, their rankings have fall, fallen because of some of these issues I just talked about. But the St. John's is truly a treasure that is is totally affected by this. And sometimes people don't see the connection between that and Akawa, or even in my area. Some people don't realize Silver Springs is one of the biggest sources of water to the Akawaha, and the Akawaha is the biggest tributary into the St. John's River. Right, right. It's all connected when you it's when you start football. tracing it back. Yeah, yes, it's all the song about the foot yes. bones connected to the. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, well, you mentioned manatees and or springs in the manatees, and I know I, in, I think one of the talks I listened to that there was some issues. You know, manatees getting you know obviously some issues with them getting killed uh, at at the. Uh, at the, at the there. Yeah, yeah. And uh so how that's obviously gonna benefit the manatees. They're gonna be able to go up the Oklawaha. They're gonna be able to have these refugia that they don't have access to now. Absolutely. And um, you know, we've done some just over you know, quick calculations. We think we could um have about 10% of man Florida's manatees provide habitat up and down the system. Wow. It, it, unlike Blue Springs, which is very has been very successful, you almost would have a chain of springs for manatees going up to Silver Springs. So they wouldn't all be huddled just in Silver Springs. Yes. They would have access to uh, FWCs and identified, I think, four or five springs along that uh, system that would be potentially good uh, habitat for for uh, manatees. So right now there's plenty of food in the aqua, which is important to manatees. Um, the challenge with the Buckman is it's not open all the time. I always take a picture of the hours because it's some days it's not open at all. And then that's limited hours and it's it's humanly open by Doc Master, who's not always there at, at every. So they've seen, you know, a good percent, even on the open days, there's a good percentage. Uh, I think it's 30, more than 30 percent or so that on open, when they do have it available to open, they, the manatees are taking one look at that lock and saying, I'm not going through that thing and turning away. They've had the so experience. Have, <laughs> yeah. So you have a, a large percentage of the time it's not open at all. When it is open, a lot of them are turning around. And when they do open and go through there, it's it's scary if you're in their kayak, it kind of throws your jostles you around. You can imagine what that experience would be like for a manatee. Well, it's I think since July there's been six deaths in 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 and around the lock. I think they've been able to, for certain, attribute three or four of those to the lock. Mm. Um, a lot of them that have shown up deceased, they put undeterminable. <laughs> uh, and part of that's because they don't see them sometimes for a while and they get very dec you know, decimated from other things. They might have gotten hit by a boat as well. As, you know, So there's yeah. multiple things going on. But it's definitely not he healthy for the look at it. That's not good into itself. A few manatees have been killed, but it's even more problematic when you have manatees that really need food and they can't get um, good, good, regular, natural access to that food. Yeah, yeah. And when the manatees have had such a hard time in the last decade, their numbers, uh, it's only... This sounds like a really good project if we're going to be helping manatees, not just for not just a human benefit, obviously, uh, on the recreation end of things, but uh, for for the wildlife involved. It's interesting when you look at the Save the Rodman site and um, those sites, many of their members are very interested in the manatees as our as our members are. So it's important. It's interesting to look into common themes. We're all interested in water quality. You know, we're all interested in having healthy rivers for our kids. And so there's a lot of and good recreation, too. So there's a lot of common threads that tie us all together. We just have to figure out how to um, look at what are the ways that we can 
create a better overall system and um, make sure that our fishing community has good access. Right, right. Um, so you've, in some of the other things I've read and, and watched, um, you talk about the drawdown. Now, what is the drawdown right now of the reservoir? Is that just so they can kind of clean out the muck? Uh, what Just give a, the lake a break? What's What's the reason they do that? I think the easiest way to think about it is kind of you, if you have aquariums, every so often you have to flush them out and replace some of that water and so that the fish won't die and that you have a healthy system. Well, years ago, um, some scientists and different people came up with the solution of having a drawdown every three to four years to lower the water, to flush out a lot of the invasive aquatic plants that build up there and require a lot of sprays which no, nobody seems to really like and um so it uh, improves temporarily improves the health of the river and the fishing i've seen the lunker bass charts seem to it's always good during drawdown because it's concentrated because the water yeah. concentrated you catch more fish but uh, and I think it's catch and release during that time. But even right after the drawdown, you seem to have the fishery. It seems to be a little healthier and alive and better fishing for a while. But one of the challenges. So this year is the fourth year, which should have been a drawdown. And um, we've been trying to get an answer to why they decided particularly not to. And the latest thing we saw was that um that some eelgrass has um, uh, popped up around the um, reservoir in some places, and they they are concerned about manatees not having that access to that. So that that's at least what the latest thing is. We don't want to really advocate for the drawdown that much because the drawdown does negatively impact the St. Johns River. So unlike when you restore the river, if you think about road construction, you, you have time to put up the, you know, the black barriers to reduce the sediment. Um, you have, you do things slowly, so you're not doing this big release. So you've got muck that's built up that some of it will be dredged out. There's already a spoil uh, pit that's been set up. So when, during, restoration over three and a half years the first year is all about protecting downstream stuff and making sure you've got all that set up unlike that the drawdown is very quick it starts in october or so and ends in march and you do a a, a lot of a, a flushing of the reservoir to make it healthier but you do have create in the scientists at st john's have River Water Management District confirmed this. You do have a negative impact to the Saint John, the Lower Saint Johns. So, as a coalition, we we love going out during the drawdown because it mimics a somewhat what restoration would look like. Because some of the spring, it's not as low as restoration, but it's it gets there. And some of the bigger springs open up, you can actually see what it would look like, which is fun. And the banks. Uh, uh, come alive because you have the banks that were once there are still there when you bring the water down it's just amazing the banks just kind of kind of come alive with wildlife you see I've, I've never seen so many turkeys like flocks of turkeys and alligators sunning it's amazing and then that also opens its things up for tent camping and hiking as far as the florida trail during drawdown you have more shore fishing opportunities which is kind of a a glimpse of what it would be um you know if it was restored people worry about and and we worry about um people right now are shore fishing mostly at the down by the dam but they love the shore fishing room love the drawdown because it opens up shore fishing at kenwood it opens up shore fishing at Orange Orange uh, Springs that opens up shore fishing down at Payne's Landing area, and uh, so with a natural river would open up those banks for shore fishing even more. So um, Strawdown's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, you just see stuff. I've taken photographers like when it's not 
drawn down and then when it is and they're like oh my gosh this is <laughs> this is so different and the cool thing but it's sad at the end is the cypress trees that we have these these massive cypress it's like a, the sequoias of the south somebody called mm-hmm. them to me but when during drawdown the cypress seedlings start to grow and they get as much as it looks to be like four to six inches high and some elm you'll see elms mixed in with them and so forth so the seed bed's still there if once it's the water's pulled down permanently that will take off like crazy and um what's sad is that the end of drawdown you have kind of this little miniature forest going on and it all gets drowned out so yeah. one year we'll have that and hopefully those cypress trees will all thrive and It'll, the fish in other areas come back really quickly. The forest will take yeah. 30, 45 years, but you'll see interesting things evolve as the forest over overstory grows. You'll have uh, lots of ducks coming in, in the beginning because you'll have a lot of, um, you know, the grassy areas, then mm-hmm. they'll start moving. So the full coverage will some you know some people may say as much as 50 but 30 35 years for sure and that may create I'm a fan of wood storks cuz I worked for all oh, yeah. yeah and spent time at Corkscrew I I talked to a a bird expert at one of the professors over at UF and he truly feels like if we get that um great cypress forest to come back and then this what they call the demersal fish, the scientists call them the little bait fish coming back in there. That's what the wood storks are, are really looking for. So we could get some really great bird species coming back um, to the river. Yeah, that would be really amazing. I mean, you know, hopefully it sounds like I know y'all are making some progress, but it, you know, if we can get if this can happen in the next 10 years, then you know, by the end of this century, that area could look really pretty amazing. And, you know, it's never, it's going to be a while before it even looks like it did before it was totally, um, you know, messed up by humans, but it would be interesting for, you know, the kids of today to be able to see what uh, it looks like at the end of the century. It'd be really neat. I encourage the guys that we work with a lot and even kayakers and people that are doing it on their own to go out of Eureka and go south and that is the natural Akawaha so you can get a feel of what it would look like it's it's really a semi-tropical I think I call it semi-tropical forest you don't have many of those in the United States it's really a treasure you have the I like the love cypress trees and the moss and um, just such a diversity of trees when you go south. Then when you go north towards the dam, um, it opens up, of course, because it's enlarged there. But you see all of a sudden you don't have the diversity of trees. And my, my the cabbage palms, which I, I love, that's so iconic, Florida, some of them have just, little, some of them have hardly any heads to them at the top. And so you can tell they've been stunted because the water levels are not natural and Mm -hmm. they can't, they don't do as well. So you definitely see if I'm not a botanist and that was one of the first things that I noticed. I'm going, wow, that sure has changed um, the diversity of um, not just, you know, the fish and wildlife, but the uh, plants, uh, trees and plants are much different along the river there. And I think, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, the silver, the silver, right? And yes. spring and Oklahoma and St. John and a more of a linear river system. But in, in, in another one of the presentations I was watching, it, it really talks about how this is actually going to affect even broader areas just, you know, up north and south around the area. It's not just specifically a linear sort of project that... What, like literally once you restore the system you're expanding out to a greater area so this is going to have a much greater impact to neighboring neighboring parcels of land and larger tracts of, of restoration which you know i think you talked about you know next next week you're doing the uh florida wildlife corridor so it's really going to be a beneficial chunk of uh restoration for the florida wildlife corridor for all of our our species 
Absolutely. If you go to greatfloridareverway.com, there's an interactive map there that does talk about some of the tributaries and some, there's so many tributaries up and down the river um, from Orange Creek to um, Deep Creek, which I'll come back to in a minute and, and lakes like Doctors Lake up in Jacksonville. So those are all connected systems. And we talk about the 217 miles from Lake Apopka to the Atlantic but really, if you add in the tributary systems, you're talking uh, hundreds of more miles. Um, I, I think I saw from Moss Bluff to Atlantic, which is not the full extent, like 337 miles of connected system that would be improved. So it affects, um, we, we figured at least 12 counties directly. Of course, it, this is a national treasure, state treasure for sure. But if you're in 12 counties, you're, there are systems that will be connecting with you that will benefit from this. And the wildlife corridor, it, it be, it's better to have a map, but when the Buckman um, lock will no longer be, you'll be coming up and down the river through the natural river and not the Buckman lock. Half of it, interestingly, going to the St. John's will remain uh, the same pretty much. The waters will still stay in there partly because it's too expensive to like fill the whole system. And, and uh, there's a lot of things you can do with that. Um, and one of the students designed, a team designed some really great things, put in a day fishing center and boardwalks and stuff there. Um, but the other side uh, to the West will be filled in. And we've talked about, you could leave ponds for instructional fishing and, and duck duck hunting, seasonal duck hunting, stuff like the Orlando Wetlands Park, if anybody's yeah. been. Um, but that filled in part is great because right now, a lot of the bears and panthers, although it's, it's possible they can, they don't like to cross that canal, which has pretty steep sides. And they really don't like crossing the reservoir, which is a, a like a big lake yeah. so once you bring that lake down and you fill that one side in you've got Caraval Ranch that some people may know to the south and uh, you've got this great greenway that's part of the Great Florida it's part of the wildlife corridor so it'll be heaven for you know black bears and panthers keep them in their natural areas it'll be good for people it'll be good for wildlife Plus Osceola turkeys, which a lot of people love. The hunters love Osceola turkeys and all number of other uh, terrestrial type wildlife. So the the water, water aquatic wildlife and fish and manatees will greatly benefit as well as um, uh, all those creatures I just talked about and, of course, the bird communities. But it also creates... Wildlife viewing is a multi-billion dollar industry in the state of Florida. In fact, most surveys you look at, wildlife viewing is ranked higher than fishing. And I fish and I do. Yeah, yeah well, I do it all. But um, I think it's a little more accessible for everybody. You know, you don't necessarily have, a, have to have a boat or gear to do wildlife viewing. You know, there's a lot of places you can walk that aren't uh, you know don't require a lot of hiking equipment or anything so wildlife viewing is just such a huge pastime tourism and locals as well so um it's we're buying a lot of great land this yeah just <laughs> a lot of great land today i'm so excited about that but we don't have to buy a whole lot here the the land to do this project is bought there is land in that area that can greatly complement what we're doing and and even extend that corridor even more and a lot of people looking at that um, there's land that we could help do some community parks um, to uh, extend uh, shore fishing and um, maybe yeah. highlight some of our steamboat landings. And, and one of my favorite projects is do something with Payne's Landing, which people forget about that. As far as Native Americans, that's where the Payne's treaty was signed that sent the Native Americans out west, a very mm -hmm. disastrous treaty. But it's a huge part of the Native American history in Florida. And, and there's one little metal sign in the middle of the river uh, talking about that. And that's it. Wow. So, 
So that's one of my, we ha- you have to be careful when you're dealing with stuff that you don't put uh, heavily trafficked things in anywhere where there might be artifacts or anything, but, but we definitely need to highlight that history in some way that's appropriate. Right. Right. So, you know, talking and thinking about all of this, what, how does this compare to like the Kissimmee River restoration? That seems like that was probably much more <laughs> heavily uh, funded and more involved than this will be. Is that? Yeah, I, I wish I had this committed to memory. Um, yeah, I don't. But we do have a chart. I'm not sure if it's in the on the Great Florida Riverway, but it may be. We've compared, you know, the miles of river that Kissimmee has and how many millions of dollars that to this. This is such an economic bargain. It really is. You're going to, you know, restore for sure the 7,500 acres that were totally destroyed. But since then, because of unnatural water management, we've got, you can see it with the naked eye. You see Cypress um, areas south of the dam that are in bad shape and you can see cypress down towards jacksonville lower st john's that are in bad shape because of the saltwater intrusion so it's going to help not just the 7500 acres right there in the vicinity of the dam but we we project probably another 75 or eight thousand acres that would it would help and then 16 miles of river directly impacted but this entire system to get healthier from from, i mean silver springs it was the first major tourism traction in florida yeah treasure that we cannot turn our back on and it cannot there's three parts of the restoration there's need for you know there's some projects going on right now for septic um septic to sewer projects and things to help with the water quality we need to keep our eyes on water supply because it's been greatly reduced um, due to permitting. But Bob Knight, scientist Bob Knight, head of Florida Springs Institute and others will tell you that Silver Springs restoration can't occur without this project. It's one of the three critical pieces of the three-legged stool. Right. Wow. So since you know, the Free the Aqua Coalition is formed. There's more um, fervor in getting this done. What is the timeline? Do you foresee this happening? Like, like how can uh, we propel this forward as constituents and users of, you know, Florida's natural areas around there? Well, I, I would say what I think my plan is in what I think is a realistic plan is, is a two, two year window. And I'll tell you why, because I think this year we have some work to be done. And a lot of it has to be done at the community level to get the community behind how we're going to make sure that we um, protect the interests of the shore fishermen and angling community, as well as provide a, a very, healthy system for a lot of Floridians up and down the river. So we've got to find, and I think there's a lot of um, good ideas, good concepts that are already out there that people need to look at, come together, figure out, prioritize those. And there's, we've had a lot of discussions about the best way to do that this year, but it's, that's a critical piece. Um, I think there's work to be done on the, at the legislative um area, but I think we have incoming legislators that, uh, you know, this will be a, we have one more year and a lot of people are going to cycle off and then we'll have some new, new folks coming in. Um, I'm hopeful, really hopeful about that and think we've got some potential leadership that nobody's been brave enough to, you know, step out on this. And I think there are some people that are looking at some of those offices that are brave enough to work to get everybody together and come to some solutions and just not kick the can down the road, which is bad for the economy. It's bad for the environment, but it's dangerous to the people of Wallachia if that dam fails. It's uh, past its life expectancy. We had a potential bomber up there this year. Oh my gosh. 
And even DEP has put out a list that there's 430 similar properties at risk if that dam were to fail. Mm. So you've got that as well. That's life. That's, it's a high hazard dam and they rank you a high hazard dam if there's a potential for loss of life. So it's not just 50, I think $7 million in potential property damages, but you could, you could truly have Catastrophic life. Life. Yeah. yeah. So is, I, has any permitting already been done to help speed this along? Is there anything already prepared to yes, so the legislature says go? <laughs> yeah, that is the exciting thing really is there's been a, the partial restoration plan or the science team that Casey Fitzgerald from the water management district just retired I, the day after he retired, I recruited him to lead our science team. He's done a wonderful job. There's a permit that's that was done years ago, and it's in, I call it in abeyance. I'm not sure if that's the legal term, but it's DP's got it ready to go to the water management district. They just haven't moved it, so it's all ready to go. Our science team, because we asked, a couple of us asked the question, well, that was done quite a few years ago. Is everything still is there anything that would need to be updated? So the whole team that includes water, wildlife, forest experts reviewed that and felt it was really solid and um, didn't really need to have any adjustments made to it. So, you know, I think the governor and legislature waved the flag. That could that part could be done really quickly, um, get that rolling. Um, the partial restoration plan that's spelled out in this um, environmental impact statement and the permit that was done years ago um, details out like a three and a half, four year process, um, which is really not long. You know, some some feel it needs to be longer, but it 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 looks pretty solid the way they've um, laid it out. And uh, so that part, I don't want to say that's the easy part, but that part's uh, <laughs> been, there's been, I think, three environmental impact statements through the okay. year. The last okay. one was a million dollar environmental impact statement. That stuff's been what options, whether we fully restore it, partially restore it. Some people say it sounds good and some people say, well, I don't want to do it unless it's fully restored. Well, fully restored is really expensive. And fully restored, you get, I think Casey and them said 95% or 98% in the 90 percentile of same environmental benefits by doing partial restoration. It's a whole lot less expensive. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Now we just need to propel get the right legislators in there, get the governor on board. Um, and hopefully, you know, within, I would like to hope maybe in the, within this decade that we're seeing, seeing this done. Two years. Two years. <laughs> well, let's get it done. That's your goal is two years. <laughs> two, uh, two years, years I'm going to call you and be like, hey, you're right. <laughs> let's hope. And I, I, I'm very hopeful that we're going to get some. So that's a good question when you're out and about and you're looking, shopping for who you're going to vote for next year. Um, ask them, you know, what's, what's going, what do you think about this? And uh, because we do want to have strong leaders that are, at least are willing to talk about it and get it and look at the science and get people together. Um, Remaining Switzerland does not, um, you hear that a lot from the agencies and I understand they're waiting for the legislature to, um, you know, make their move, but that doesn't help when you are not, you know, somebody step up and get people to come to the table. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. And so I will, you know, all the Florida residents listening to this, take that into mind when you start looking at who to vote for at every election. Um, and, you know, just even if you're not, you know, a Florida resident and you're on the Florida trail, you know, there's probably some other project similar to this somewhere else, uh, you know, in another state, whether there's restoration projects all over because humans have messed so much stuff up. So there's always something going on. <laughs> 
And I'd encourage people get out there and, and you visit the resource. It uh, you know, there's so many ways. There are guides, um, several guides that do the Aquaha and Silver Springs right now. Um, you know, there's as you know, there's existing trails. You can there's a, some uh, paddling um, um, outfits along the river. Um, just it's just really important to get in touch with that resource and try to get a better understanding of how it's all all connected and could be more more connected with this one project that um, is got a huge return on investment. Well, Margaret, I really appreciate you coming to talk to me. Is there any, um, you know, I think you've mentioned a couple of the websites, maybe you want to reiterate them again, if you have social media places, if there's any, I don't know, petitions for people to, to, to sign, uh, just let us know right now. Yeah, I think I would get familiar with greatfloridariverway.com site. It has the UF student recreation projects. It has a documentary on there and pieces of the documentary. If you can't watch the whole thing, it has a, what I call my soft, the soft book, which you can guide you through the project. What else? It has an interactive map. So get familiar with that. Um, it'll help you if you want to go out and visit the river to kind of get some ideas on that. Um, the free Aqua site is going to, is actually, uh, going to disappear and the Great Florida Riverway site is about to be improved and upgraded. So we'll have that one main site. Okay. There's a aquaha.com. I think it's, I think that's the right link with the aquaha remembered that a, a, a guy did. Um, Karen Chadwick did. If you're into history, that uh, search aquaha remembered. And um She's got some great videos of old timers talking about the river. The gentleman that says he's the last person that went through the dam, that river before the dam was. Oh, wow. There's some great videos there and fishermen talking about what it was like. I mean, Dakwaha was a very hot fishing area back in the day before this happened. So um, anyway, for those who are really history buffs, that's a great, great site to go to. Perfect. Perfect. Well, yeah, again, thank you so much for sharing all that information. I have definitely learned a lot and there's, there's just so much information. And I think that once you see, I mean, if you've hiked across or hiked across the dam or you are a recreationist in Florida, that you probably have some input into how this is going to, how this is going to go. You should be sharing that information, sharing it with your, your fellow hikers and getting them uh, more involved. And I definitely appreciate you uh, talking with me today to share a little bit more about it. And um, hopefully this will get people involved. Well, thank you, Misty, for having me on. And uh, I hope everybody gets more in touch with this resource because it's truly a national treasure. That's it for my conversation with Margaret Spontak, chair of the Free the Okawaha Coalition. Show notes for this episode can be found at orangeblaze.thegardenpathpodcast.com, where you can find information on how to petition Florida legislators to restore the Okawaha, as well as how you can get involved. Until next time, happy hiking.